Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading will be from Ephesians, uh, but first we'll be reading a prayer together. So say this with me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. So the scripture reading comes from Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, and I'm reading from the NRSV. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, and by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as every part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Skyview. Um, man, this is the first time I think I'm preaching like this without glass seeing my reflection. Um, this is a little different than a camera, so I... Uh, I hope that there's some response this morning, because I, I don't know about you, if you've ever spoken to a camera, you don't get a whole lot of feedback, um, which I guess is good, because you don't get bad feedback, um, but you also don't get any good. So if you have bad feedback, you can um, send that to Stuart at skyviewchurch.ca, and he will take care of all of those concerns. Well, it is truly wonderful to be in the house of the Lord this morning, whether you're watching online um, or whether you're here. We've been talking a lot in staff meeting of how to be cognizant of this new reality in which we find ourselves. A reality in which some of us will be in person and some of us won't. And uh, for those of you watching online, rest assured that we want to continue to prioritize what it means to be a body in this new day and age. I would invite you to join me in prayer this morning. A note I would make before is that typically in the church, prayer seems to be the thing that we use to transition from one thing to another, right? Prayer can often be that thing that we do so there's not awkward space between one move and another. But we've tried to be really hard, work really hard about being intentional about what it means to pray as a community together. And so as we pray this morning, would we pause, not expecting what might come next, not thinking about the next transition we need to make, or if we left the oven on with lunch cooking while we're, while we're gone. Would we pause and pray this morning? Would you bow your heads with me? Creator God, we thank you for what you have done through this community over the last 16 months. God, we know that this has been a hard, hard season and is continuing to be a hard season for many new reasons. But God, we want to pause and thank you we thank you for your faithfulness, that despite popular belief or common conception that you did not leave us during this season, you never left our side, 
nor did you fail to give us all that we needed to be who you wanted us to be. And so in that spirit this morning, God, we continue to be thankful. Not simply thankful that maybe we get to worship in the ways that we have become accustomed, though we are thankful for that. But thankful that you are still the same God that still wants to provide and still wants to offer us all that we might need to be the people that you call us to be today. God, we pray for our Northern Hills community, a community that has surely suffered in ways like we have, but even in ways that we may not know yet. God, would you lead us not only to be a church that prioritizes our own health, our own transformation, but also looks and asks that where you want transformation in the world around us. Would we take part in the active work that you are already doing in this neighborhood? We thank you for who Skyview is, but God, we look forward to who you are making Skyview to become. We pray this all in your name. Amen. This morning or this week as I was reflecting on this scripture, I, I, I thought back to a memory that maybe some of you guys might share with me this morning. Do you remember when you were a child and you went to the school nurse and you stood on that kind of rickety metal scale that like shook back and forth and they would check you for everything, right? And they would pull out that long metal wand with the thing that sat on top of your head to measure how tall you were. Right? You remember this? And every time it went down on your head, it like kind of hurt a little bit and maybe left a little bump. I remember every time that I would go to these moments, whether it was to a doctor or a school nurse or any of those in between, any time that I wanted to get measured, I always wanted to be taller than I was. Each and every time, I made sure that somebody, when they asked my height, I added that extra half inch. Like, that was important for me on the card, right? I wasn't just this high. I was almost this next height. And every time I would walk into those offices, I would stretch before I went in and stand with the best posture that I could muster in order to get the biggest number possible. Because height seemed to be, from my perspective, a key to one of the many secrets of life. <laughs> For those that were growing, seemed to have things figured out. They kind of commanded a new sort of respect. For me, I remember being very aware in grade school of who was taller and who wasn't quite yet tall enough. It was interesting for me, and maybe this is your experience as well, all the girls in my class grew a lot quicker than all the guys, and I was kind of left feeling like, man, am I ever gonna grow? <laughs> I wondered these things. But as one grew, they continued to kind of command these new rights and privileges. One in particular was that they no longer had to sit on the front row for class pictures. I was always kind of doomed to sit there cross-legged, hunched over, while everybody else got to stand in the back. These interesting realities for us kind of paint a picture that I think all of us want to be measured in some capacity. Measurement, numbers, metrics all matter a great deal to us because they give us a certain security, a certain understanding about the way we are, about the kind of world in which we live and where we fit into that world. Numbers and metrics keep our society moving at times. They help us to create order out of chaos, comfort in moments of uncertainty. They give us direction when we just don't know what to do. And the church is not immune to this, right? 
Every year we sit down and we look at these numbers. We check the tithing reports, we review the small group numbers, and we count all the baptisms. And at the end of the year, once all the numbers have been compiled, we look at this big grand chart and we ask this question, was it a good year? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm led to kind of look at those numbers and maybe try to come with some sort of conclusive answer and a definitive result of was this a good year, but I think perhaps for us this scripture this morning invites us to consider that there's another way to answer those sorts of questions. Maybe we could ask it this way, was God faithful this year? Is God faithful if maybe the numbers don't always add up in the way that we think they should? Is God still present if maybe the chart doesn't look up and to the right in the ways we've come to expect? I think the Apostle Paul and myself this morning included would answer yes. But let's explore that a little bit. This passage speaks to a very contextual piece of Scripture where Paul comes to this church in Ephesus. A very, uh, what's interesting about it is that this letter that we read often we often kind of read it as maybe a sort of uh, displaced message. Like it's just uh, an all-inclusive message for everybody that when we read it, it applies to every single situation, point, and time. And while Scripture is transcendent, relatable, and applicable, there's also a unique piece that must not be forgotten is that Paul speaks to a very specific group of people. A specific group of people in a specific group in time with a specific group of needs, concerns, and desires. And these gifts that are reflected in here, these five that Paul lists here, in no ways is an exhaustive list. Sometimes we find other in other letters, a longer list with others included. Sometimes there's shorter lists. But this one speaks to the church in Ephesus, a new church trying to get their bearings on the world. And to write an author that we often quote that we all love um, on our pastoral team says it this way, that apostles were witnesses to the resurrection. Prophets spoke to the name of the Lord. Evangelists announced to the surprised world the crucified Jesus. Pastors looked after young churches and teachers developed and trained new understandings. It's interesting to me how while these gifts may seem like necessary today, and while I'm not saying they aren't, they were very necessary for this church in this day and this age, and it invites me to wonder that these gifts reflect an awareness of the one who gave the gifts, that perhaps as Paul says in the verses earlier, that the one who both ascended and descended, the Christ who had been resurrected, was the one that was both aware and responsive to the needs of the day. This one recognized what that community needed in that time and responded in the appropriate way. And I wonder if we as the church have ever wondered, maybe in this past year, as we pined for what God wanted us to do, clamored to try to figure out what the response of the church should be, perhaps we might have said these things, if only things would be like this or like that, or if only God would just give us what we need I think this passage reminds us of the unfailing truth that God has already given the church what the church needs. There's also an interesting point to be noted about the gifts, that sometimes when we read lists, we can very often assume a hierarchy with them. Maybe the first one that is listed might be more important than the last one, or maybe one in the middle might be a little more important for this time and this place, but Paul doesn't seem to play into that assumption. 
See, because the gifts aren't just for themselves. The gifts that were given to the church in Ephesus weren't simply so that they could say, well, we have prophets, we have evangelists, we have pastors and teachers and apostles. But the gifts were given for something else. He says that they're given for the sake of ministry, for the work that the church would be doing. That perhaps these gifts weren't gifts in and of themselves, but were perhaps catalysts for what God actually wanted to do in the church. I would wonder that if the gifts and talents that God gives each and every individual community comes with a certain expectation so that something else might occur from those. But I wonder if too often at times we've gotten distracted trying to prioritize one thing over another. Has the church ever allowed its hierarchy, our assumption that one thing might be important, more important than others, interweave into our thankfulness for that which God has given us. Perhaps we might receive a gift but wish we had something else. If you've ever unwrapped a gift on Christmas and it just, ooh, it just was a swing and a miss. <laughs> and you have to put on a, a happy face, right? <laughs> ever opened a present and thought, ooh, that was, that's a gift right there. <laughs> but I think that perhaps the church can fall into this temptation at times as well, wishing that we were somebody else. Wishing that we were the church down the road with that kind of worship team. Wishing we were the church next door with that sort of facility. Wishing we were the church with that kind of youth ministry, and so on and so forth. But God seems to want to remind us that the gifts that are given are given for us, for this community, and this time, and this place. I remember when I was growing up in youth group that we would often be taught to profess the things that God was doing in our lives. Right, sometimes um, a chair would be put up on the stage and these were called testimony nights. Come to now learn, you know, now that I've been in youth ministry for a while, sometimes those were when my youth pastor didn't have a sermon prepared and he'd put the chair up and say, this is the way the Lord is leading me tonight. <laughs> Stu, can you attest? Maybe, maybe, maybe at times, as well-intentioned as those days were. But I do remember these evenings we were taught to profess what God was doing in our lives and these were always powerful moments. Sometimes students would profess um, they were sensing God calling them to something. Sometimes those professions included a calling to a specific vocation. Sometimes they included a feeling that they were to be working in full-time ministry. You know, and, and what's interesting about those professions, while they are good and while they demanded celebration of us as a community, I think at times we would prioritize one profession over another, saying that maybe is it good that God is calling you to something, but man, it's really good if God calls you to that. And church, what I wanna say to us this morning is that God doesn't just give us a certain set of gifts so that we might prioritize one over another, but gives us a wide diversity of interests, abilities, and talents so that we might learn who God truly is. And so while God might call some of us to vocational ministry, God calls all of us to something. Maybe a specific vocation, but maybe even just a specific spirit. As Pastor Sue said last week, we need, we need more spiritual moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas to take on the young generation in the church and love them in the way that will show them who Jesus is. And so if you've ever felt like your talent or ability or practice or interest 
wasn't allowed in the church. I just want to say that that is so far from the truth. Because God has created a community that is different. So do you know that people are different than me? Thank, you could say amen to that, maybe. Maybe say amen to that. <laughs> Did you know that people are different than you? People have different interests and talents and abilities. And while at times that may be frustrating, because man, if just everybody was like me, the world would be a lot easier. <laughs> I'm convinced more and more that the more different the world is and the more we learn to embrace that difference, that the more we will begin to discover our full potential of who God has created us to be. Also, the purpose of these gifts is really interesting. Paul uses this phrase, the gifts that to, measure of the, um, to create the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I think there's a few different ways that we can read this as the church, and one of them is this. See, it says that the one who gave the gifts, Christ, who we're referring to, has ascended. And we might presume that these gifts reflect the desire of the giver, but I think it's often really easy to maybe just assume that Christ is the one who ascended. And when we think about the word stature, we might think about power, or privilege, or position. See, for stature, for some, it means that we stand over others, but it's also interesting and important that the one who ascended also descended. The one who rose above also rose below, who suffered and served just as much as anything else. And so the Christ who gives us these gifts, the Christ who gives us ability that can be taken advantage of, the Christ who gives us talent and ability that can be used for our own power. I think the calling is for us to embrace these gifts and learn to embrace them in a way that says, how might we descend as Christ did as well? How might we use our gifts that we might not take power for ourselves, but actually empower those who have none? How can we use our gifts differently than perhaps they were intended? I think that there's so many ways that we can approach these realities, but when we follow the way of Christ, while it may be challenging for us at times, while it may be tough, while it may call us to a place that feels a bit uncomfortable, if our gifts don't lead us to a position of service, then I fear that we have failed to understand their full potential. Hey, church, I, I don't really know what tomorrow looks like, nor do I really know what tomorrow looks like for Skyview. But I can say this this morning. The church will endure. The church has surely faced challenges, but has endured much worse. Centuries of heretics, schisms, reformations, and yeah, even board meetings. The church has endured many, many of these challenges and many more. But the church will endure because the one who died and resurrected has already given us what we need. But I also know this, for the church to endure well, I think the church will suffer. And when I say suffer, I don't mean that we may feel that we are pushed down. I think there's maybe a misunderstanding in our modern day of what it actually means to be persecuted as a church. But I would say this, that the church will suffer in the respect that we may have to give up some things. We may have to give up some expectations about what we should look like, how people should see us, what our position should be in the world. 
What I intend to say is that the church for the, to be the church that we are called to be, we must use that which has been given for us, not for our own gain, but for others. See, I don't really know what the work of Skyview is in 2021, but I know that we've been given that which we need. But I think the question for us to ask this morning is, what does that list look like for us? We could look back to the Apostle Paul and wonder, maybe are there apostles or prophets or evangelists or pastors or teachers, and surely we need all those things. But I think so much more than that, Skyview needs something very specific. I don't know what that is. I have feelings and thoughts and hopes. But I know that it already exists in this community. Because I know that God needs different types of people. God needs doctors, God needs lawyers, God needs business people, all those sorts of vocations, but also God needs people to speak out for others. God needs people to speak justice in the world where there is injustice. God needs people to choose love over hate. God needs many, many of those things and many more for the church to endure well. And so I wonder what that list looks like for Skyview. See, as we kind of re-emerge out of this weird and strange season, while we know that the pandemic's still going on and things will continue to linger for us for many, many months and perhaps years to come, I wonder as we kind of re-enter into this reality that might feel somewhat familiar, what will we do? Will we double down on the things that we know? Double down on the metrics, on the numbers, hoping that we might be able to look at a chart that looks positive in the coming year? Or might we continue to learn what it means to love? Paul also uses this phrase when he talks about walking towards unity. This word that I think is really challenging for the church because we have to wrestle with our own purposes. Paul seems to have a hopeful perspective of the church, one that I don't know is often shared today until all of us come to a unity of the faith. It's an interesting, hopeful spirit that Paul has that I think can be hard for us to hold on to at times, wondering that maybe the church will be close to that. Maybe some days will be better than others, but Paul actually seems to believe that the church will one day be unified. And I think unity is an interesting reality for us because not only does it just create a community that is cohesive and maybe works well together, but I don't think this is Paul trying to say we need to be a really efficient church. I don't think this is Paul trying to say, well, if we just were kind of, if we look unified, then we'll maybe get more things done. But I think this is Paul trying to say something else. Do you feel anybody in our world calling for disunity? Do you ever feel voices that maybe call you towards a place that invites you to just disagree with other people? If you ever turn on the news, it immediately invites us to say, well, where are you? Are you here or are you there? And immediately when we put ourselves down in a position, it tends to alienate somebody else. I think there's all sorts of voices around us that call for us to be ununified. I think there's all sorts of voices that call us to choose that sort of posture over a spirit of unity because unity is hard. But I do know this, 
Unity does a lot more than just create a community that works well together, but it actually begins to paint a picture of something that is different. It begins to paint a picture of what we might call the kingdom. It begins to paint a picture of what God has always intended for the world. And so the things that we do, the way that we live, not only as individuals, but also together, points people because people are watching. If I was to ask somebody who hadn't grown up in the church, what do you think of the church based on this last year? I maybe worry some of the responses that I would get. But I do know that the, the way the church lives matters not only for ourselves, but for those that are watching. And so the ways that we can embrace that which God has given us, the ways that we can live into the people that God has always intended us to be, thinking about this sign that we put that maybe some of you guys saw outside that Pastor Brittany worked on. It's phenomenal. It has like 23 languages on it, I think. It says, you are loved in all these different languages, all representative of both our Skyview community and the Northern Hills area around us. Things like that begin to point to an alternative reality, a world that might want us to say, well, are you over here or are you over here? A world that might want us to say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not for you, so I'm actually against you. These sorts of things, the way we begin to posture ourselves begins to point people towards a world that can and should be different. And Paul uses the word unity. I believe the church's efforts to be faithful to where God is calling us we not only have a responsibility to be transformed as individuals, but also to be living in a way that points people towards the kingdom. Verse 14 invites me to question in my own life what might distract me from that. He says, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. And can I confess this morning, church, that at times I have succumbed to other voices. There's a lot of voices going on in the world right now that call us to worship different things. And at times those things can be antithetical to what the kingdom is, the kingdom of Christ. And so our responsibility as believers is to be constantly aware and questioning the things that we love, the things that we worship, and ask if they are in line with who Christ calls us to be. This past year, I think, has been filled with a lot of opinions about the state of the church, its trajectory, its needed decisions and postures. I've heard many opinions from all edges of the spectrum and been asked myself what my opinion is on this. I know that times like this where we may be unsure about what tomorrow holds and what it requires of us, we can tend to double down on that which we know. We can put more money in the youth budget, start a Sunday school attendance campaign, start up Sunday school classes, and all these things are good, particularly the youth budget. If you want to put more money in the youth budget, I wouldn't be opposed. <laughs> but I think these initiatives are lined with good intentions, but they can also distract us from the future to which God is calling us, one that will always contain a bit of uncertainty. Not uncertainty to the work that will be accomplished, not uncertainty that the one who leads us will be faithful, but uncertainty about what it will look like. You know, in the years that I've followed Jesus, while it's not been as many as some of you, I've learned a few things. 
one of the things that I've learned is that the moments that I surrender myself to the future that God has in mind, not necessarily the future that I have in mind, I am always stretched and formed in ways that I could never have imagined. And I also begin to see God work in immeasurable ways that are so much bigger than we could hope for as individuals. So I ask us again, what does our future at Skyview look like? What I do know is that a doubling down on the ideal of the past that we might hold on to will keep us from seeing where God is calling us to. This sort of practice of metric analysis, as we might call it, looking to the things which we know that we've been discussing this morning, leads us to ask this original question, was it a good year? But I think the posture to which Paul calls us is to prioritize something different. This year, maybe like for many of you, has taught me just how much I've learned to value myself based on the amount of things I could produce. Gosh, and when I couldn't produce anymore in the way I had become accustomed, I didn't know what to do with myself. I wondered if I was at all being faithful to what God was calling me to. I wondered if I was contributing to the world in any sort of valuable way. But I think that the sort of maturity that Paul calls us to through the words of Christ is a maturity that says even when things are uncertain, even when we don't know what tomorrow looks like, even when we don't understand maybe what God is doing for us, our first and foremost posture should be one of surrender. One to say, God, maybe there's something you want to do in my life. Maybe there's something new you want to transform in my heart. Maybe there's some way that you are calling me to be different than I have been before. We've been talking a lot over these last few weeks about our values here at Skyview. This has been a really enlightening process for Pastor Stu, Pastor Brittany, and myself as we've thought about who we are and who we are to become, but these last couple weeks we've chatted about what it means to do intergenerational ministry. Pastor Stu talked about that last week and this week as well, that the work of the church cannot simply be confined to our own experiences. We always should want for the things that we love to carry on. We should always hope and long that the church would not simply be based in our own experience, our own lifetime, but would actually carry out into the future. One of the things I've always loved about Skyview, since even before I got the job here, since Michaela and I were praying over where we were to go, is that this church seems to prioritize an intergenerational approach to ministry. That young people actually don't just have a place, but they actually matter to who we are and who we are becoming. That their voices are important to who we are called to be. And church, I want to say this to you this morning, if you don't hear anything else, that I think the best intergenerational ministry we can do is that we can commit ourselves to renewing faithfulness to the transformation of Jesus. Let me tell you about one of the most pivotal moments for me in my faith. It has been and will continue to be the most transformative moment for me was not the moments when I was led to memorize certain amounts of scripture, say certain creeds, understand certain ideas over certain other ideas. 
And while these things are important, we should be teaching those sorts of things. The most pivotal moment for me in my faith was when I was eight years old. And I got out of bed when I shouldn't, you know, and wandered the house like some kids do. And I walked in the living room and I saw my grandfather on his knees praying for me, saying my name out loud, saying my brother's name, my cousin's names, my mom's, my aunt's, that he was embodying something that was real. I think the best way that the faith can be carried on is not through a doubling down on certain number expectations, but it's through us continuing to call ourselves to be a church that embraces transformation in our own lives. Who does God want us to be in the coming year, in the coming years? I don't know. But I know that we can discover that if we commit ourselves to a posture that says, God, renew in me a clean heart. God, do something new in me. Transform my life. That I actually don't have it all figured out, even when I might hope that I do. Interestingly enough, the decisions that we make now will echo out into the future generations that my faith didn't actually begin when I accepted Christ when I was 16 years old, but my faith began when my grandfather accepted Christ. How are the decisions that we are making now, the ways that we posture ourselves, the ways that we live and act, how will history inspire those that come behind us to continue to carry on the work of the church? Paul uses a simple word in closing, a simple yet challenging concept, and that is love. Love is probably one of the toughest challenges for the church because love's not always a comfortable practice because love invites us to let go of the control of the outcome and hand it over to the one who has always been in charge. I know that love can sometimes be painful Sometimes love can lead us to places where we might get hurt. Sometimes love can lead us to places that will challenge us in ways that we have never faced before. But it is the way of Christ. And when embraced, love is the way that will lead us into a new sort of kingdom, a new sort of community that points towards the world that God has always intended this to be. People ask me often why young people leave the church. Get on my youth pastor soapbox for a moment. I'm convinced more and more that young people don't walk away from the church because they didn't memorize enough scripture growing up. Young people didn't leave the church because they couldn't remember the Apostles' Creed. But I think young people walk away from the church because they have convinced, become convinced that the church no longer wants to be transformed by Jesus. And I wonder how we might point to something that is different. And it begins on moments like the moment that I watched with my grandfather. Moments on our knees where we say, God, I don't have it figured out. God, I don't know what tomorrow holds. And I'll say it again. The best sort of intergenerational ministry that we can do 
is to show those younger than us that Christ is very, very real in our world, very real in our hearts, very real in our lives, and that we are still walking this long, long journey in the same direction. Living in this way will point towards a kingdom that is different than the other kingdoms that might call for our allegiance. I know that the way that Skyview can live can represent something different, be a sort of signpost, a picture of what is to come, a community that is defined by love and seeks for unity. As the worship team comes forward, I'd like us to pause and just wonder for a moment. What might our list look like here at Skyview? What might be the gifts that God has already given us? Perhaps it might be similar to some of the things that the Apostle Paul said. Perhaps we'll have pastors and prophets and apostles and all those things. But I think more contextually and specifically, I wonder what God has given Skyview. I know that God has blessed us with a lot of different cultures. Something that teaches me just how much bigger the world is than my own perception. Something that teaches me that I'm not the whole story. I know that God has given Skyview other things. Skyview has given us families. It has given us prayer warriors. God has given us people so committed to their own transformation and their own life that they wouldn't have it any other way. So this morning, church, as we close and the worship team plays a song for us, I'd like to invite us to a place of prayer. I know that maybe in these last 16 months, these sorts of things have become unfamiliar to us for a variety of reasons, and I don't want to pressure us to use these because I know we're all at different places, but I would like to invite us to a place of prayer. Whether you want to use the altars or stay at your seat or kneel where you are, wherever you find yourself, that I know if something new is going to happen in the church, if we are going to experience a revival if we are going to experience the new life that God is calling us to, where it will start is not with our ministry initiatives and our budgeting and our planning and our expectations, but that revival will begin on our knees, asking that God would do something in our hearts. And so this morning, as I read the scripture, I speak as one not above but below this text as well, asking in my own heart, God, what do you need to do in my life? So I would ask you to be honest with yourself this morning. Be honest with God this morning. And ask God, would you reveal the things in my heart that need to be revealed? Show me the things that I have not previously seen. And show me the ways that you want to make me a new person. So as they, as they play, um, I invite you to use these altars or use your seats wherever you find yourself. Let's enter into a time of prayer and worship today.